Welcome to the Trailer Cast with Elise Snipes. Each week, I will be sharing with you from inside my vintage trailer where I work as a therapist and share some of my musings on the human experience. I am endlessly fascinated and inspired by people. I love being a therapist and I'm deeply grateful for the intimate and beautiful work I get to do. I believe we are wildly capable of healing and making this world a better place, and this is my attempt at doing that. Sharing beauty to invoke beauty. May you find yourself inside these stories and ponderings and be better for it. Cheers. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Trailer Cast this week. Um, today, I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to kind of return to the work. So I want to return to the work of being a therapist, the work that I was able to do this week, incorporate some of my own work or through three different questions. One, will I ever get better? Two, how do I take care of me when my life must still go on? And three, not a question, but a statement. It's not about your mom. <laughs> so here's where we're starting. I have the privilege of working with people that have undergone extensive trauma. And specifically for the people that I'm working with that are or have undergone trauma. And I mean like big T trauma. Like Okay, so there's two different types of trauma, big T and little t. And so big T would be the obvious traumas that we would go through that people would readily identify as something that was injurious or created trauma. Um, the death or, or loss of a loved one, um, a traumatic car accident, um, a miscarriage, losing a job, getting divorced. Um, plenty of these are big T trauma, going to war, um, watching someone die. All of these are big T traumas. But our brain also perceives what's called a little T trauma, which is something that happens to us that might have been um, unintentional. It might have actually gone unnoticed. A snide remark from a teacher in fourth grade, um, having to popcorn read out loud in class and feeling super ashamed and embarrassed of it. Other people might not have even noticed that this little T trauma was going on, but your brain felt like just paralyzed or just shattered. Now, what happens is we tend to write off these little T traumas as things that are super insignificant, but the brain doesn't. And it stores these little T traumas as things that develop our core beliefs. And then we build our identity out of that place as we grow and exist. When I have people that want to come in and work on their big T traumas, my favorite method specifically is called EMDR, and that stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. Okay, Google it. <laughs> it's a phenomenal, phenomenal modality of therapy. I have never seen something as effective, as immediate, and have those much long-lasting results. When I first heard about EMDR, I was the biggest skeptic. I'm in grad school and someone from like the Emdria organization comes in to present. I literally go to the dean of our school and tell them how insulted I am that they even brought in somebody who was going to solve somebody's issues in one appointment while I've been like in debt in grad school learning how to actually help people. Okay, <laughs> you guys. <laughs> I like laugh now because I'm like, one, like how audacious was that to go to the dean to even say that? But for whatever it's worth, this skeptic about EMDR decided that the only way to truly uncover the truth about this process would be to go and receive said, said therapy. So I went and did some EMDR work. And then I also went and did the training for it. 
because in one weekend, not joking you, in one weekend receiving EMDR therapy from a person who was also training, I experienced more breakthrough, insight, healing, and recovery from a relationship that I had been working on for over 10 years in therapy. I'm going to let that sink in, truly. And I, and I was a skeptic. I wasn't going, like, drinking the Kool-Aid. I was going thinking, this is a bunch of hooey, okay? Because it's weird. It uses bilateral stimulation, so which means that we're literally um, creating two different points of in- input for your brain to receive um, information in order to move the trauma from one part of your brain to the other part of your brain. If you want to read um, up about EMDR, there's two books I would recommend. One is by Francine Shapiro. It's called Getting Past Your Past. And the other book is um, by Bessel van der Kolk. I have it right here. It's called The Body Keeps the Score. Both of those books, Getting Past Your Past and The Body Keeps the Score, are phenomenal resources on the work of trauma and how we are connected body, mind, and soul and the need for a comprehensive form of therapy to find healing, relief, and like movement in those specific areas. So um, not to like just overkill this, but EMDR for the win. And this week, I had a person come into my office and she has some some pretty extensive compound trauma and I thought okay like this would be my suggestion for our treatment plan moving forward and her question was will I ever get better like are there things beyond help am I beyond help are there traumas just too deep or too long ago or too vague um too dicey, too intense, too complicated for healing. And I instinctually wanted that question to sit in the room with us. I didn't want to just offer her some like cheap answer and minimize that. I wanted to allow the weight of that question to sit there. Will I ever get better? Am I beyond help? Is my pain too deep? Is the memory of this too searing? Will I be able to do this? Will it work? Such beautiful questions from such deep vulnerability to even ask that. So I didn't answer her question. We sat with that. We then did some EMDR. It is um, unendingly... You know what it is? It's, I feel like it's cosmic evidence that good exists. <laughs> because in the most intense trauma, to watch people transform from the inside out their belief about their experience, to reorganize the memory of what happened so that it's something that doesn't keep them imprisoned within themselves, to watch somebody transition from shame to a sense of pride about who they are, from doubt and insecurity to the sense of strength and renewed sense of identity I, I I am absolutely like lost I, I can't do it justice with words okay so after we finished and she's sitting there in her own disbelief I asked her what do you think will are you better will you ever get better and she just laughed <laughs> she laughed and she's like yes I got she's like I'm feeling it 
now. And now I look at that question and I realize it was almost a different girl asking those questions. I didn't even know I could feel this way. And because I feel this way, I feel like resounding yes, resounding yes, resounding yes. It is a true blessing and honor to get that front row seat, to watch it happen before your eyes to get to bear witness to somebody so bravely jumping into their own work and then trusting me with something as bizarre or foreign as EMDR. Will you get better? Yes. Is there help for you? Yes. Is there anything that is even coming up for you now that you feel like you want to take care of? I would totally encourage you to think about EMDR as a resource for you or finding an EMDR therapist in your area. You can do that in one of two ways. You can look up on psychology today and see if there's anybody who is also practicing EMDR. Or you can go to um, emdria.org. That's emdria.org. And you can look up practitioners on their website as well. Or like I said, Google it or check out those two books, The Body Keeps the Score or Getting Past Your Past. I, as a therapist, am almost um, more skeptical when it comes to will this happen or how is it going to happen today? As a human who's undergone EMDR, I'm like, oh, yes, yeah, saddle up. It is about to go down because <laughs> I've experienced it. I know it's going to be good. I know it's going to be good and real and great and everything. It's beyond what people anticipate it to be. It's that good. I mean it. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's the first question. Okay. The second question is actually my own. How do I take care of me when my life must still go on? I have felt torn uh, this last week. My grandmother, um, who is like a parent to me, uh, she died on March 20th and it has shaken me, you guys, more than I wanted to admit. Um, more than I anticipated. I just feel like it's taken me out and I felt a conflict, a major conflict in regards to wanting to stay in this positive space here on in TrailerCast or even on social media and then being afraid that what if I share my sadness? Is that going to make other people feel sad and then they're not going to want to listen or stay? Wow, right? I can hear my own inner monologue. But then reminding myself that to choose freedom over fear, that my grief is real. And if I cease being true to myself or my own experience, then all of this is for naught. <laughs> like it's for, then I've like lost myself and I won't do that. So the question that emerged from my own work and journey was from my grief, which is how do I take care of me when my life must still go on? So the first thing that I did is I had to rearrange my schedule and I have never done that, ever. I have always felt this intense need to have to show up and keep going and doing it no matter what. And as I have to put my money where my mouth is and actually like do the thing I'm asking other people to do, which is it's okay to take some time. If I am so in my own grief, I am unavailable to actually show up for the day, then I'm honoring that other person's time and investment in their work as well. So I had to rearrange my schedule. And that was like some humble pie, but it was the right thing. That it's okay that I need to take care of myself. 
as I say that out loud, my own inner like critic is cringing because what happens when I want to move towards health and towards integration of self, then there's like that, I think Jen Hatmaker calls it the itty bitty bullshitty committee, like that chirping itty bitty bullshitty committee inside me. That's like, well, you should be able to take care of this. You're a therapist. Like you've lost other people before. This is ridiculous. Aren't you like being a little bit sensitive? Like I can hear all of that BS just rolling through my head, condemning me for wanting to take the time to just grieve appropriately, uh, spontaneously, uh, genuinely. So I pushed against the thoughts that were coming up in my own head and honored the experience that I was having of my grief. Um, Grief was also messy this last week. I feel like it it compounds, mine was compounding with the loss of my brother as well. I felt it stack, like the extreme loss I felt when my brother died, and that was a tra- that was a traumatic loss. It was not one we were expecting. He died in a skateboard accident when he was 20. And that uh, shook me in, that shook me in a totally different way. My grandma was 96 and lived the most like fabulous life, but still, that tether between my brother and my grandmother was so strong this week. I felt compounding loss. I felt my the loss of my brother all over again. I felt like I was in a fog. I felt like I was walking through mud. I felt like mad that the sun was shining. I felt frustrated that like people's lives were going on, that my lives were going on, that my children needed to eat and go to school and get dressed and that laundry had to happen. Like when grief is occurring, I feel like everything else should stop. Like, nothing gets to exist then if if grief is happening. Again, these are all, that was just, those where I was at this week. This feeling of frustration that I wanted my life to stop so I could just give in and, like, push over. Sorry, the train's going by. <laughs> okay. There we go. I wanted everything to stop so that I could just fall apart on the ground. And it couldn't. The salvation for that in me this week was learning how to hold both. My reality of grief on the other hand, and then the, the reality of my beautiful life on the other, that they could coexist. That I don't have to go black and white into my grief. That I don't have to cloak myself in sackcloth and ashes. That I can still experience great beauty like I did with this person I was working with this week and still feel that searing pain in the center of my heart when I think about my sweet grandma. They both exist simultaneously. Life will continue to go on even though I I don't want it to. (laughs) Even though I wish I had some giant remote control and I can just press pause. There's salvation in there. There's grace in there that I'm not in control of the sun rising or setting. I'm not in control of my life, the days I have allotted to me, of who gets to come and go or stay. There is so much surrender required in grief to give in to the feeling, to not let the itty-bitty bullshitty committee make the final call. I went to an art store this week and I bought the biggest canvas in there, not kidding. And then I put, I painted as much as I could. I just wanted to express myself and not let that just be something that ruminated or stayed within me and got stuck in my gut. I also realized this time around 
that I've learned so much in losing my brother that I knew I needed to stay in motion in some way, that I wasn't just going to fall apart and wither, but that it would be okay if I decided to go buy a giant canvas and, and make a giant mess. That That's okay. <laughs> You know, the other thing I thought was kind of interesting is I went back and I watched the workshop that I made earlier this year about feeling better, living better. And I, because I like to test myself, I wanted to see how applicable or how appropriate my own workshop would be to grief because I didn't make it for grief. I made it for feelings in general. And so I thought, okay, let's see. And so I put my grief through that feeling wheel and I put my grief through that own workshop of not letting the dominoes just fall one after the other. I feel sad, therefore I will be alone and I will isolate and I will stop talking and I will just go into myself and just like close. That was, that's my typical domino effect. But as I chose a pivot point, or a place to stop the transition of all those dominoes just knocking down one after the other. That's what led me to the art store. That's what led me to paint. That's what allowed me to stay in motion, to find relief, even humor, and find my way back to still an honest expression of grief without making it feel like it has to be extra sad. You don't need to heap anything on your grief or heap anything on your experience. It's enough as it is. So the Feel Better Workshop if you are looking for a genuine resource that will help you navigate your feelings, your automatic responses, and how to choose a place to pivot and move forward in your feelings so that you don't just keep getting stuck in the same spot or don't have to keep on like re-grieving that same thing over and over and over because you just pull out at some point and stop the process. That's a plug for my own thing. I realized that, but it benefited me this week, so I, I wanted to talk about that too <laughs> you guys sometimes some of the stuff is so silly which brings me to whatever <laughs> that was also my mantra this week whatever um I, I the kids were late to school whatever I decided to keep my kindergartner out and we went and got coffee I brought him back to school they asked why we were late and I said for fun because whatever my he asked if he needs to do his homework that day I said what do you want to do it's kindergarten so whatever, like sometimes not the, the grief kicks things up in a way that's like, oh my gosh, it's perspective. Does page three of one week of homework of one person's kindergarten experience over the course of their K through 12, then college or whatever, however long he goes to school, does it matter? No, whatever. And sometimes we need to give ourselves, I need to give myself the permission of whatever this week. Did we have happy meals? Yes. Did the laundry get done? Some of it. <laughs> Is it still in a basket in the upstairs room? Yes. Whatever. Other things were going on. On the one hand, the grief, and on the other hand, that beautiful life. And I didn't feel like I needed to just have one and not the other. They're both in motion. They're both real. I'm able to hold them both because that is the true human experience. Not to close our fist in one and demand that it stop, but to surrender palms up and open, allowing, just like that roomy poem, The Guest House, whatever shows up as a teacher, to welcome it in, to allow it to have its way in our being. And I'm better for it this week. I'm thankful. How crazy is that? And I mean it. 
I'm thankful that I didn't put restrictions on myself. Tell myself I had to do it perfectly because um, this is my profession. Because <laughs> I'm a human first, a person first. And being willing to bring it and share it here and not worry that people will run from hard things because I also know, whether that's through DMs and the time we get to spare, share on social media or through our interactions, is that the people that listen to this podcast are also brave and also beautiful and also looking to make sense out of the things in their world and that they wouldn't let sadness or hearing my own pain deter them from coming back to listen because we're all humans and there's room for every single one of that. And so I had to take a step back and again come back to that place of respect for what this is and what our shared experience is and hoping that regardless of what it is I'm, I'm sharing about or opening up about, that it might all be good in some way, even when it's ugly and bad and hard and levels me or you or him or her. So a couple things about grief. Grief wants to express itself. It wants to find a way out like a lot of feelings that we have. I will start when I, when I go to work on myself or go to take care of my grief, I'll ask, um, how do you want to express yourself today? Grief, what do you have to say today? Grief, what do you want to do today? Grief, what do you need to hear today? Grief, what do you need to feel today? And sometimes I'm asking those questions in a mindfulness experience where I'm just meditating and asking myself that. And then, I'm, then I'll go and do whatever it suggests. Other times I'm journaling. Sometimes I'm just talking to my husband out loud about it. I feel like I need this right now. I feel like this is what's happening. This is how I need to grieve today. No matter how erratic <laughs> or spontaneous or ridiculous it might seem. What does your grief need? How does it want to express itself? And from there, even beyond grief, whatever your experience is, how does your anger feel? What does your anger want to say? What does your anger want to feel? What does your anger need to say, hear, be with today? What does it want to do? That might be your entry point into taking care of some of these big feelings, listening to what is already within you and giving yourself the space, time, and resources to do what it is you need. Last question. <laughs> the statement. It's not about your mom. It's not about your mama. You guys, I have heard another great myth that I needed to like debunk here. That therapists are only on a mission to villainize your mom. That's not true. <laughs> okay? If that was the only thing we ever did. Okay, let me say it like this. Therapy is not a witch hunt. We don't just go searching for the villain so we can sentence them and absolve you. That is, a, is poor form. Sorry. The point of going back and evaluating, analyzing, looking at, making sense of whatever vocab we want to use for it, when we look at your family system and when we recognize another human being's fallenness, it is not again, to villainize them or make them the reason why your life has gone this way. Because what that's actually doing is disabling you from being an adult. What that's saying is you're actually powerless and there's nothing that you could have done and your mom is this big bad witch and poor you. How helpful is that? Out of curiosity? 
How helpful would that be if we could just find the bad guy? Like, let's just say that we did that. If we made a genogram and evaluated your family system and all the relationships, feelings, memories, and experiences therein, and then picked a bad guy, circled him or her, what would be left for you? Like, maybe that would relieve you of feeling like it was about you or your fault or that you're bad, maybe. But you know what you would still have to do? Your own work. At the end of the day, you would still have to face yourself. Which is why therapy is not about your mom. Therapy is about you, whoever's in the room. Now, don't get me wrong. Have I gone to therapy to deal with my own relationship with my mom? You bet you. Is that the single most like intense relationship that I have ever worked on in therapy? Yes. Call any of my previous therapists, <laughs> even my current one. It's my most complex relationship. One that I care so much about and invest so much time and money in. And she's not even there. I do my work on my relationship with my mom in therapy, not to villainize her, but so that I can come to a place where I am an adult and I can see her as an adult. I can see myself as, as, some, as fallen and human and her as fallen and human so we can meet in compassion so that I can have real eyes, not eyes of victimhood and villain, right? It's a totally different way to look at it. Are there real villainous moms out there? Yes. Are there bad parents out there? Yes, get in line, okay? That is true. I'm not taking away from that experience. It is my own experience as well. The point is, if we're only focusing on the villain, then we have and somehow incited ourselves to be the victim. That will only get you so far in your own work. At some point, you're going to have to get yourself up off that bed, kiss yourself, <laughs> dust, dust it off, and figure out what you're going to do. Sometimes we have to come to our own rescue. Do not allow the process of therapy to make you weak. If that's the case, then it's not good therapy. Sorry, calling it out. Therapy does not make you weaker. Therapy does not make all the people around you worse. <laughs> therapy does not absolve you of all things and leave you as, as just a, a poor, vulnerable human. Therapy is able to simultaneously, just like my grandma could do, say it as it is and yet invite you to do better. Say it as it is and yet invite you to do better. How, is, how cool is that? <laughs> we can look at the complex relationships in our lives and again, see on one hand the humanity and on the other hand, the divinity. On one hand, the fallenness the shortcoming, the pain, the injury, the words, even the abuse, the dark. And on the other hand, the story beyond that story, the grandparents, the great-grandparents, the culture, we can identify our own power, the ability to choose what we want to do with our story, how we want to or do not want to integrate that in. We can have boundaries how much do they get to be a part of our life or not? Because you're not a victim. And it's not about your mom. It's about you. And how you're making sense of this. 
and how you're making space and room for your emotions and how you're telling your own story and how you're asking and answering your own questions. Will you ever get better? Will things ever change? Will you get to be reconnected with that person again, land that job, get that partner, get pregnant, do the thing, move, buy the house, whatever? Where do you want to be in this? If you were with me today in the trailer, I would for sure be a little bit all over the place because whatever. (laughs) But I would invite you into that whatever. Shake it off. Shake off how you think this whole thing is supposed to go or be or look like. How you're supposed to feel, look like, wear, do. I would invite you into some spontaneous activity of self-revelation. What is it you want to do? What questions about your own work are still lingering there? Do you have some wild hair, some whim you want to take yourself up on? Do you have deep questions that plague you? Is there anything you need to grieve or mourn or celebrate? And I would invite you into an honest look of your own life and experience so that you can answer all your own questions confidently so that you could look at yourself and be like, damn girl, (laughs) that's what this is about. I hope you have the best week. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. If you are interested in beginning your own work in therapy or coaching, you can go to www.elisesnipes.com. Follow me on Instagram at Elise Snipes Collective, where I will be sharing more with you throughout the week. You can get in touch with me to suggest a topic for the show or to ask a question from your own life you would like to have answered. Or just say hi by emailing me at elise at elisesnipes.com. Remember to subscribe on iTunes and tell your friends. This episode is dedicated to my grandma, Mammy Hoo Hoo, Annette Marshall. She was born November 4th, 1922, and died March 20th, 2019, 96 years old, who told me to always use my voice well. Love you, Mammy Hoo Hoo.